Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. Not too many weeks ago, I got a new phone, a different phone for me, and I noticed that my spam calls just kind of like, just just ballooned. I, I've gotten those off and on, you know, like everybody does, but I've been getting them so much. One day I got sort of irritated with it, and um, I counted. Before 11 o'clock, I received five different uh, spam calls, which is a lot, because they just keep happening all throughout the day. And, and I noticed this is happening, you know, like for the last five or six weeks. Anybody else? getting more than normal. Okay, sweet. It's not just me. I thought I had changed something on the settings. I thought, I, I looked at everything. I even looked at do not call.gov and I'm still registered. And so it's still illegal to be calling me, but um, they are. And so um, I'm looking at all this kind of stuff, trying to figure it out. And it gets really frustrating. I have an 817 number, not a 501, an 817 number. It's a Fort Worth number. And um, I've noticed or I've developed uh, this habit that if there's an 817 call that comes through on my phone and it's not somebody I know, then I, it's, I just ignore it. I'm not answering that call because that is spam. If it looks like your number and you don't know it, it's spam. But somehow they figured out I don't live in Fort Worth. And so I started getting all of these 501 spam calls as well. So 817, 501, they're all getting me. Um, it was about a week ago, maybe a little over a week ago. I got a call, and it was from Bentonville. And, and I don't know a whole lot of people in Bentonville yet, and I thought, I was sort of conflicted. I thought, if this is spam, I don't want to answer it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to waste my day. But I was planning a gathering of pastors to come together, and we were going to meet in Bentonville, and I was ordering barbecue. Uh, for this from a place in Bentonville. It's called Wright Barbecue. Have y'all, anybody had Wright's Barbecue? It's so good. If you, if that, that's another reason to go up to the Northwest, um, that Wright Barbecue, you should eat it. And I thought to myself, if I answer this call and it's just a waste of time, that's going to irritate me, right? But if I don't answer this call and it's barbecue, then that's going to irritate me as well. I don't know if you've ever gotten a call from barbecue, but it's delicious. And I, I was waiting on that call. So I was sitting there conflicted, and I decided to go ahead and answer it. And turns out it was right barbecue. And a, and a very nice lady. She fixed all the stuff that needed to be fixed there. But here I am, conflicted and even irritated as I'm talking to her, thinking that spam calls almost made me miss a call from barbecue. And so I was even more mad at spam calls. This is sort of an irritation. It's an annoyance in everybody's lives. Everybody gets spam calls. It's an annoying thing. But this idea of calling can even be annoying in church world, right? If you're around churchy people, if you ever talk to a pastor or a minister, or if you ever just talk to people who are really active in church, they will often use this language of calling, or they received a call. You ever heard anybody say that? And, and they'll say things and you're like, I'm not even really sure what we're talking about here. And, and you get kind of conflicted with it because you want to call. You want God to call you. God called your friend. He can call you. And they'll say things like really specific things like, when I was seven, um, I felt this call of God to, to give my life and be a Chinese missionary or something like that. And you're like, man, that's, that's epic. That's huge. I wish God would like spell things out for me. I can't even decide between like, uh, you know, red or yellow M&Ms. So I, I can't believe that God has given you that sort of specific calling. Or it'll be like this, what feels like off the wall things, right? Have you ever heard anybody say something like, 
I was sitting there eating my lunch, and I felt God call me to share my bagel with the lady across the street. And so I walked across and shared my bagel, and she received Christ and gave a million dollars to an orphanage. I mean, it's like, it's like, that happens to you. It never happens to me. And you want to be called like that? You, you, you are frustrated that you are not getting a call like that? You sometimes think maybe God doesn't want to talk to you. If he's talking to everybody else, he's not wanting to talk to you. Or, you know what could even be more frustrating is, you think maybe you did get a call from God. You think maybe God is saying something to you, but how do you know that that's not just like a charismatic preacher or, or just something you read in your devotional? How do you actually know? Does it show up like on a caller ID? And if it does, is it, is it an 817 number? Is it a 501 number? How do you know that God is calling you? In Luke chapter 5, Luke recounts two stories, these, these experiences that these two guys had. Simon, Peter, or Matthew, Levi. It was not uncommon for people to have different names because they were a multilingual community. And so they would have an Aramaic and also a Latin or a Greek name. And so Simon Peter's the same. Uh, Matthew, Levi is the same. In these two stories, these experiences where these two guys are called to follow Jesus, we're going to see it. And literally, today, with your eyes, you're going to see these two callings. What's encouraging to know is that as we read this story, as we see these two stories come to life in our own lives, then what is true is that each of you, every single person here, has received a call from God. And maybe, probably, today is the day that you answer that call. Let's pray together, and then uh, we'll look at the stories. God, thank you so much for your calling, the calling you have put on our lives. Every individual here, God, I pray that we would hear you calling us, hear you telling us to follow you, and that, God, today we would leave here counting everything, everything we own, everything we could own, everything we earn and could earn, God, our abilities and our skills and our mindsets, God, that we would count all of that as nothing compared to following you. God, we celebrate those who would follow us to follow you. In all of this, we pray that you would be glorified and other people would be helped. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So like I said, Luke chapter 5, there's two stories. The first one's in 1 through 11, and the second one is in 27 through 32. The first one is the calling Jesus puts on the life of Peter or Simon. Not too long ago, a, a film was released called The Chosen. And it's a good film. I really like it because it is, uh, it's gripping. It also conveys a, the emotion in the gospel. So what we thought we would do today is because it has these two scenes and because these two scenes stick really close uh, to the, the gospels there, we thought instead of reading it, although I'm going to read a lot of it here in a minute, we would show it. So here's the scene where Peter is called by Jesus. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. That's your word.
from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, how sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. as well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. I'll take the fish into market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. All right, one of the reasons I like this show is that it sticks pretty close to the scriptures. Also, uh, they use Middle Eastern accents. Normally, everybody in the movies has a British accent, which would have been really weird. Um, besides their perfect first century uh, teeth, uh, it sticks pretty close to uh, what's going on in there in the film. Just to point out a couple of things, like I said, that's found in Luke 1, 1 through 11, and it features Peter. It does not, in Luke, uh, Jesus doesn't say, 
follow me, that exact command. But in Matthew, he does say that in 4 verse 19 in in the gospel of Matthew there. Uh, The other thing that's interesting in the film is that they add this this dynamic with with Matthew, with Levi. The young man that is sitting there on the shore that's sort of surprised uh, by what's going on and paying attention to all of this, that is Matthew or Levi in the film. And he will later be called by Jesus, which is this next little clip here. It's a lot shorter, but watch this. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to you. What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. All right, two scenes there. I like it. Uh, You should check it out. It's called The Chosen Film. It's free. You can watch it on an app or a a bunch of different things there. Whenever the Gospels or the Bible uh, gives you two different stories, one of the helpful things to do is just compare and contrast the stories. Just see what's similar in the stories and what's different. And when you do that, uh, there'll, there'll be some sort of truth that rises to the top, some things that you can apply to your own life. And that's what I want to do here this morning. The first thing that I want to point out is the call. The call in both stories, the call to, um, from Jesus to Peter and the call from Jesus to Matthew is the same. Follow me. 
Now, like I said, Luke doesn't include that in Matthew or in Peter's account, but Matthew later, when he writes the, the gospel, the first one that's listed in our New Testament, there in chapter 4, verse 19, he will say that. Now, when we read it, because we're used to the Jesus story, then we just take a couple of things for granted. Some things that just don't stand out to us all that much. Like, let me just picture it this way. Let's say you're sitting in class or, or, or in your dorm, or let's say you're sitting at work or, or, or wherever you're sitting, and um, this stranger walks by. He gives you this weird look, and he tells you, hey, follow me. Anybody sitting there like, yeah, let me just shut down my computer. I'll meet you out in the, in the parking lot. Nobody, nobody says that, you know, because that's weird. You would think to yourself, like, who does this guy think he is? Like, all of a sudden, he just wants me to, like, get up and, and, and follow him. You would not do that in a normal setting. None of us would. But when we read the stories here in Luke, when we, when we see a film like that, it doesn't even strike us as odd. You know why? Because we, we take into account, we, we assume the value or the worth of Jesus. When we read these stories, it's just so natural for us to say, yeah, that's the kind of thing Jesus did, and that's the kind of way that people responded to Jesus. That's what we know cognitively. But I'm wondering if that's what we know experientially. Because just the same way that you would have to answer the question, who does this guy think he is? You have to answer that personally for Jesus as well. Like, you have to individually, wherever you are, however you're listening, you have to answer this question. Who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think the person, the real person who lived and breathed and was crucified and resurrected again, who do you believe that person to be? And are they worth following? You answer that question because if Jesus was to walk up here today, if he was to walk into this room and he's to walk up to you individually in front of this whole crowd and say to you, follow me, then how would you respond? And the way you would respond would be based on what you actually think Jesus is, and if you think that he is worthy to be followed. And, and here's the shocking thing. This is why you need to answer that question, and you need to answer it right now, because that call is universal. Jesus saying, follow me. What we just watched there, what we read here in those two verses, particularly in, in Luke 5, 27, when Jesus says the words, follow me to Matthew, what we are witnessing there is not this secondary calling. It's not for the, those that are spiritual or, or saintly or set apart. It's not for the special. This is a universal calling. Later on in the story, down in verse, I think it's about 30 through 32, uh, the, the Pharisees will, they'll, they'll get kind of bent out of shape, and they'll say to Jesus, why are you eating with tax collectors? And Jesus will say, you know, essentially, I called, I, I came to call sinners to repentance. So in other words, he, he defines what he meant when he tells Peter and what, what he meant when he tells Matthew to follow me. He was saying, they're sinners who need to repent and follow after Jesus. So another way to think about this is if you are sitting in this room today right now, or if you're watching online right now and you're sitting in your home or wherever you are, if you are a sinner, Jesus has called you to follow him. If you're broken and in need of a Savior, then Jesus has issued the call to you. It is not spam. It is for you, and it is personal. Jesus has said to you, follow me. Now, these two men and, and some others are going to be what we would call apostles. 
They're going to turn the world upside down. That's why Luke in includes this story. At the time when people are reading this story, they've heard of this man named Simon Peter. And it's, and it's, it's moving to kind of think about the moment in which Peter begins to follow Jesus. In that moment when he's so broken and, and so confused and, 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 and so um, drifting— that he, he finds Jesus and that person is going to turn the world upside down. He and, he and some of his friends. But that's not what's going on in this text. Later on in Luke, he will say that Jesus prayed all night and then he came together with all of his followers and he called out 12 of them to be his apostles. That's a different thing. This one, this follow me is the same that Jesus is saying to you and you and all of you and you and me. Jesus has says, said to us, follow me. You have to answer Jesus. You have to give him some sort of response whether or not you are willing to follow him. Here's another interesting thing about this is that Jesus says to follow him. I think this is good because it frames out Christianity. It really helps us to begin with, with the start to how we're going to understand Christianity. Jesus says this word, follow. The reason that's so helpful for us is because in our culture and in our time, just the way that we think, we are so obsessed with being leaders. We are obsessed with being world changers, of turning everything upside down, of being cultural influencers, that we want to be the kind of people that other people look to, that we will read leadership um, books, that we will, we will get degrees in leadership, that we will study leadership, that we will listen to podcasts and TED Talks, all about how to be a better leader and a stronger leader. And while there is some value in that, and while all that stuff is good, what Scripture tells us is that Jesus' primary concern is not that you are a leader, but that you are a follower. That if we were to put too much emphasis on being a leader, then we are putting emphasis on the wrong syllable. We are not focusing on what Jesus wants us to focus on, and that's following him. That you would spend your life following Jesus. This is what frames out our Christianity. That we are supposed to be pursuing Jesus. That always and forever, with every amount of energy and resource that we have, we are following hard after Jesus. We are trying to be more and more like Jesus. Jesus. So to set the whole thing up, this call is universal. This call is the same. Follow him, and you have to answer it. The second thing is to look at the people. Two primary characters. Verse 2 talks about Peter, and verse 27 will talk about Levi. Let me scroll up, find that. Scroll too far. 5 verse 2 says he saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets, and he got into one of the boats, which belongs to Simon. If you scroll down to verse 27, it says that after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. These two men could not be more different. Could not be more different. Peter was um, hot-headed. He was strong in his opinions. He said things. He jumped out of boats. He, 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 uh, he drew a sword. He was that kind of guy. And Matthew is much more reserved. He's also considered to be a traitor. He's considered to be on the fringe of their culture, while, while Peter would be right up in the middle of it. These two guys could not be more different, which is helpful for us because so often when we think of Jesus' followers, we have some sort of image in our head. And I'll be honest with you, it's often formed by whomever your, your pastor or your preacher was growing up. 
that a lot of times some sort of version of that person has become what we think of. This is what Jesus wants us to be like. This is what a Jesus follower is like. But as you all would know, you can't get an accurate picture of a person if all you do or, or if the extent of your relationship is primarily him talking for 30 minutes every week. You get a distorted version. Often we think of our preachers and our pastors as being um, super spiritual or holy or, or, or they don't mess up in some sort of way. But when we look at Simon and we look at Levi, we see people that are normal. We see people that are just uh, attainable, people that would be like us. These two guys are so different, and yet they're a lot like us. We fall into one of these categories. Also, what I think is fascinating is that in both of those texts, Jesus uh, is clear in who he's talking to. Luke is clear in, in their designations. He refers to Peter as a fisherman, and he refers to Luke as a tax collector. Their professions, what they did for a living, how they provided for their families— I assume, I, 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 um, I think that the story would work if we didn't know that. I think that we don't need to know that. In fact, there's some of the apostles that we don't know what they did for a living. But for some reason, Luke is clear to point out these two professions. A fisherman, a person who would work all night, very physical, manual labor. He's going to catch all these fish, and he's going to spend his day um, tending to his boat and his nets and make sure that the fish end up in market so that they can be sold so that he can go back out that night. It's very physical, demanding sort of labor. Whereas Matthew had a very tedious note-taking, that sort of, with that little um, tablet that he had there, note-taking and, and finances and adding and keeping records. It's, it's a completely different sort of work, but both of them are called by God to follow him. Both of them found a place to serve Jesus and to serve Jesus by following him. I think that sometimes we think of if we were to think about the idea of following Jesus, a Jesus follower, that the really, if, it's like leveling up, right? So you start off following Jesus, and if you do really good, eventually you end up here. You're like a preacher. Or maybe you end up over there, like overseas, and, and serving as some sort of missionary. We think that inevitably that's where that goes. But that's not necessarily true with Scripture. That's not exactly what's going on in the text or in these stories and in plenty of stories. We have right here that Jesus finds some means or some reason to call a fisherman and some reason to call a tax collector. What is it that you do? What is your profession? I know several in our church are physical therapists. We have nurses. There's some doctors. We have farmers. There's welders. There's bankers. We have a lot of people that work in banking and and a, a bunch of different things with uh, um, energy sector and, and higher education. All of that, all of that is something that's going on in here. But how would you answer that? How would you answer that thing? If I asked you, what is the one word? What is the one thing that you do? Like for me, I would say um, talk. That's what I do. I, I'm, a, I'm a talker and I'm amongst talkers, you know. So what would you do? You're, you're a banker. What is that word? Put that word in your mouth or in your mind. Now let me say this to you. Jesus calls those to follow him. Jesus calls bankers and, and the medical profession. He calls those who teach and weld and, and, and those who are cashiers and, and those who serve in retail industry. God, God calls all of these kinds of people. It's not just preachers and missionaries. All of the people 
are called by God, are called by Jesus to follow him. These two guys are completely different, and in a lot of ways they're the same. They're broken, they're in need of a Savior, kind of like us. So when I read this story, as I see, like, man, this, this, this covers the spectrum, and all of us sort of fit in there in some way, that these two are a lot like us. If we were going to look at the people of the two stories, what we would have to be sure to do is not just see that they are not walk away thinking that there were just two characters. It's not just Jesus and Peter, and it's not just Jesus and Levi. There were other people involved. If you look at the, um, up in, look around verse 10, it says um, that in verse 9, for he and all those with him were amazed. All those with Peter were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken in, and so were James and John, Zebedee's sons. You saw those three that were running across the water there? That was Zebedee and his two sons. Zebedee's like, I'll tell your mom why you're missing dinner. James and John leave, and then there's Simon there with them. If you look down in verse 30, look at verse 29. And then Levi, or Matthew, hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. And now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. Peter and Levi are not the only two characters. There's, there's this, all these friends and all these people that are impacted by a person who decides to follow Jesus. And that's the irony. That's the upside-down leadership economics within the kingdom. That if you focus on leading people, then you hardly ever are a leader. You hardly ever are a successful leader. But if you focus on following Jesus, then you are usually, almost always, a successful leader at leading other people to Jesus. In both stories, one person decides to follow Jesus and a ton of other people are impacted. Why? Because their focus was on following Jesus. And true followers of Jesus will always lead other people to see him. It could be your friends, it could be your family, but that's one of the ways in which we follow Jesus. So you've got this universal call that affects people like you and I, and it is given to you and I. There's got, there's this universal call that once we accept it, once we follow Jesus, then other people are impacted. But look at the response. In verse 11 and in verse 28, it's the same response that they left everything and followed him. Leaving everything seems like such a tall order. It seems like such a huge deal. So let me ask you this. What does that mean? And what does it mean for you and I? If it is true, and it is, that Jesus is standing before you saying, follow me, like in a really cool Middle Eastern accent, if that's what Jesus is saying to you, and you need to respond, and the way you respond is by leading other people and, and leaving everything and following him, then what does that mean? Does it mean to give away or to sell all of our worldly possessions and then follow Jesus like a monk or something? No. I don't think that's what it means. In fact, when you look through Scripture, I don't think it needs to mean that. When you look through Scripture, there are a lot of people with great resources and great wealth that use those resources to follow Jesus, to provide for Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, there's this little story about him saying that um, he went from town to town and, and he had uh, the 12 with him and these three women, he mentions the women, and then there's just this little line, and then there was many others who were supporting Jesus and them through their possessions. That's the way that the kingdom has always worked. That's the way that Jesus has always worked, that people would leverage what they have for the good of others and the glory of God. 
There's examples of this. Aquila and Priscilla in 1 Corinthians 16 and Romans 16. Philemon in Philemon 1 and 2. And a person named Nympha in Laodicea in Colossians 4. All of these people have great resources, are followers of Jesus, and are leveraging those resources. So it doesn't mean that you necessarily, the second you start following Jesus, that you give up everything and start to pursue him. It does mean, though, that you consider everything that you have everything that you currently possess and everything that you could earn, everything that you have as a skill or an ability, every relationship or impact or, or, or platform you may have built as nothing compared to following Jesus. Philippians 3.8 says, More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ. So this is how that whole followership, leadership thing all comes together. That when I am following Jesus, when you are following Jesus, when that is the experience of my life, when that is my lifestyle, that I am following Jesus, then I would lead other people to Jesus. Why and how? By leveraging everything that I have toward the good of other people and the glory of God. That's what it means when Peter and Matthew leave everything and follow him. They consider it as nothing. So the main thought or the main teaching that rises to the top is this idea of responding to Jesus' universal call to every single individual that can hear me now live or can hear me online or is listening to the podcast later, that you would respond to that idea of Jesus calling you because he has by leveraging everything you have and considering it as nothing. One of the issues or one of the problems is that this whole idea of following Jesus has turned into something that it is not. Here's a couple of examples. Following Jesus is not someone, a follower of Jesus is not someone who has all the answers. Sometimes this is the way I feel. Maybe, maybe this is the way you feel. Somebody will come up and they'll say, Pastor, I've got a real quick question. And I'll say, sure, quick. And they'll say, um, They'll say, can you explain to me what Jesus thinks about um, short-selling stocks on the, on, the, on the stock market? And I'm like, no, I really can't. I barely understand what happened um, with GameStop. So no, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't weigh into that. And, and there's this feeling like, ugh, maybe I'm a bad Jesus follower because I don't know all of the answers. You know how I most often hear this? I'll say something like, hey, why don't you invite your neighbors or your classmates? Or, or something like that. Why don't you invite them to church? And they'll say, I'll, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm worried that if I do that, they will ask me a question about Jesus and I won't know the answer. I've heard hundreds and hundreds of people say that. And I'm like, what kind of question are you thinking they're going to ask? Well, uh, well like, uh, are we in the millennial reign? Are we not? Is Jesus coming back bodily? You know, all that kind of, I, I just don't understand Revelation. So I'm not inviting anybody to church. Listen to me. Nobody understands Revelation. Um, and you can still invite, you can still invite people to church. Also, they're not going to ask that, okay? They're just not. And if they do, I'm amazed at how often people are afraid of not knowing an answer. You know what the answer to a question when you don't know it is this? I don't know. See how hard that was? See, I didn't die? You can say, I don't know. Go ask Josh. He knows all about the stock market. You know, and so you can say that sort of stuff. So people, Jesus' followers, are not people with all the answers. They're not also, they're also not people who have never messed up. I've messed up a ton. I messed up a ton this last week. 
I have said things that I uh, regret immediately. I've said things to my children that I immediately regret. I have spent money on stuff that I should not spend money on. I have eaten things that in normal portions you should feel bad about eating, let alone the amount that I ate of that thing. And I know not all of this is spiritual, and I know not all of that should, none of that should, should heap guilt upon you, but it does. I mess up, and I look at all this stuff, and I'm like, man, I can't even control my diet. How am I supposed to be a good Jesus follower? All this sort of stuff. But being a Jesus follower does not mean that you've never messed up. It also doesn't mean that it won't be challenging. If you want Satan to leave you alone, then nominally follow your faith. Just kind of quietly do the basic Christianity thing, the thing that is culturally accepted in our area, and just occasionally show up to church and kind of live it out. Then Satan will have no problem with you at all. But if you decide to actually leave everything and follow Jesus, it is going to be challenging. It's going to be hard at points. It's going to be exhausting. You're going to wake up some days, and you're going to do so good to get your devotionals done, and then you're going to spend the whole day losing your temper, and you're going to feel bad about it, and you're going to, this is hard. This is hard to do this sort of things, but being a Jesus follower does not mean that it won't be challenging. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be perfect. It will be challenging, and I know that. You know how I know that? Because I saw a story with this guy named Peter, and another one named Matthew. And these are the people that Jesus calls. When Jesus called you to follow him, he didn't call you to perfection. He called you to a constant maturing of walking with him. And he will walk with you. September 7, 2003, the New England Patriots were routed, which means they were shut out by the Buffalo Bills. This has only happened a few times, but it did happen on that day in 2003. The score, the final score was 31 to 0. The quarterback attempted 28 throws, only completed 14 for 123 yards. No touchdowns, four interceptions, and one of those interceptions was a pick six. He was pulled in the fourth quarter, and his quarterback rating was 22.5. If you don't care about football, or you didn't really follow anything that I just said, the quarterback had a really, really bad game. Embarrassing level. Like a, you should do something else, like sell insurance level type of game. That's the kind of court, uh, game that Tom Brady had on September 7th, 2003. And I really don't want to like jump on the bandwagon and act like he's the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Um, I really don't want to do that like everybody is doing right now, especially since my conviction, my deep down conviction is that the best football players in all of history have to have a star on the side of their helmet or they don't even qualify. And so that's my conviction. But it is hard. It is hard to look at Tom Brady and not think he is an exceptional quarterback. I mean, he is taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That alone is, that is so 2020 that I don't even know what else is going on. And so he's taking them to the Super Bowl, and he is not always perfect. We expect quarterbacks to have bad games. We expect cashiers to occasionally to get the change wrong, or waiters to forget on you, or, or to forget that you're even there occasionally, or, or teachers to say something. We, we expect everybody to mess up in some sort of way, except for when it comes to our own spiritual walk. We're like, if I'm not perfect, I'm out. Or if I can't be perfect, then I'm not even going to try. Don't carry that standard of perfection on you because 
nobody is expecting that of you, not even Jesus, and you weren't built to hold it. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to follow him. The very first step in following Jesus is what is said there in verse 32. As Jesus says, I have called sinners to repentance. That's the word that Jesus used. That's the, that's the, the call that he says. And repentance is a, is a Bible word that just means that you're going in your own way. You're going to be this very wealthy tax collector or this very successful fisherman. And you're not only going to catch fish, but you're going to have boats and fleets and other fishermen that all work for you. You're going in your way. And yet you meet Jesus and you turn from that to follow Jesus. And it doesn't mean that you're no longer a fisherman. It's just that success is not the end goal. Following Jesus is the end goal. That's what following Jesus means. But for every person, the call that I answered, the call that Levi answered, the call that Matthew answered, the call that many of the people that are sitting next to you in this room have answered was simply started this way. Jesus says, follow me. And so we did. That's that. And I'm encouraging you, just like every Sunday, that you would do that today. That you would hear that call and that you would follow him if you haven't yet done that. And so what you leave here today knowing or taking with you is to stop thinking that the call to follow Jesus isn't for you. Also, stop thinking that the call to follow Jesus was a one-time decision that you made and not a lifetime of pursuing Jesus. That's what we see in this. That's what we saw in these two men and their calling. We, um, we got some bicycles. Uh, my family did. We all got bikes, and we occasionally ride them. And one of the places that we like to ride them are Two Rivers Park. Y'all ever— Anybody ever been out to Two Rivers Park? It's in Little Rock, right there at Maumelle and Arkansas come together. Uh, it's really cool. Our bikes are normal bikes. We just got them at Walmart. We're not those kind of people that wear pants that make everybody behind them uncomfortable. It's just, um, just normal bikes, you know. And so we got these bikes, and uh, we went out to Two Rivers. And we've gone to Two Rivers a couple times, but we normally go over the big bridge, through the, the pine forest, um, to, the, to the Y, and then we turn around. Two reasons, because we're normally walking, and two, it always, like, like uh, it turns 32 degrees the second we step out there, and so we always gotta, gotta get back. And, and I think the whole place is magical, just, just mythical, you know? Um, I tell the boys that there are giants that live in those pine trees, that right when you cross the bridge, there's huge giants, and then you go through the wetlands, and, and there's monsters be there. Um, so there's all kinds of fun stuff like that. So we got our bikes, and this time we went even further. We went through the magical um, pine tree forest where there are giants, and, and we went to the Y, and we took the right, and we go further, and we went through the, the wetlands where there are monsters be. And we turned the corner there, and this huge field opens up where we saw deer. Three deer were standing there, and that's still magical to us that used to live in big cities. We, there's a deer, and we all freak out, you know, and so those were standing out there and just kind of looking at us, eating and stuff, and so that was magical. We saw a construction site, and that's cool, and then we turned a, a little bit, and we went over a little bridge in the wetlands, and we went over to this huge field. It opens up, and there's um, purposefully planted trees, horses, and such. The Little Maumelle River runs along this way, and there's a cliff that's over here, and, and I swear, it just all looks amazing to me. One of the cool things about it is as we were standing there, you can stand there on this sort of uh, peninsula, and you can see the Two Rivers Bridge over there, and as you turn around, and that cliff is over here, or that, that ridge, the, the Pinnacle Mountain just appears to be framed out by this whole scene. 
It just rises up, and it's so big and so strong. It looks so impressive. You look so close to it. I tried to take a picture, but it's like taking a picture of the moon. It doesn't work, you know? And so I was amazed by this. And there were more deer. We saw some more deer, and so that was cool as well. Here's one of the interesting things I think about that is as we went through the pine forest where, where, where giants live or the, the swamp where the monsters are, and we crossed the little field where the deer were, that mountain was still there. It was always there. You just couldn't see it until you came around the side, until you got to where you could see it. I tell you that because like two years ago, standing right here, I was not the pastor of this church for very long at all, and people were asking, what's the five-year plan? What's the 10-year plan? What are we doing in five or 10 years? And I told everybody, I said, I don't know. I don't know what five years will bring. Boy, was I right, right? I had no idea what anything was about to happen. I didn't know this stuff. But I said, all I can say is this is the next thing that we need to do, and then we'll see the next thing, and then we'll see the next thing. It's like, we need to go through where the giants live, and then we need to pass where the monsters live, and then we will see where the mountain is that lays before us. Church, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to make an announcement, a big announcement. And I think it's the mountain that lays before us. I think we will look back on 2021, the first, uh, yeah, the whole year. Because of these two events, we're going to look back, these two events in one sort of venture. And it's going to be a watershed moment for our church. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be thrilling. It's going to be different than anything that we have ever done. I think that that is how it's going to be. And I'm excited to invite everybody along into that. So that'll be uh, February 14th. Make sure that you're here. Make sure that you're listening. Now, I'm not going to tell you what it is today. I'll tell you on February 14th. And it's not just to tease you and to make sure you're all here on February 14th. It's this. Whatever the mountain is that lays before us, we will not accomplish it. We will not see God move unless every person here, every person there, every person involved in our church is willing to answer this question. Will you follow Jesus? Will you leverage everything you have for the good of other people and the glory of God? If you will, we will look back on 2021 and be amazed. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.